John 1, verse 29 this evening. Today we will read about John's definitive testimony regarding the person and work of Jesus Christ. You say, well, Pastor, we've heard this testimony already. We have, but the place where we specifically heard the testimony was a not a historical record of it, but more of a summation. We recall in verse 15 of John 1, it says, John bare witness of him and cried, saying that he, this was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me. But you recall the first 17 verses of the chapter 1 of John are more summary, introduction material. And it's not until verse 18 that, excuse me, verse 19, that we actually get into the historical reckoning of John, of the gospel. And that is where history picks up, where, as it were, time picks up. And so this evening, as far as the chronology, the narrative, the time is concerned, this is the first testimony of John the Baptist definitively of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, to this point, we have seen many things in the book of John. We've seen that the Word is God. We've seen that the Word has been made flesh. We've seen that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the one who is the Word, who is God. We have learned of Christ's divine purpose, that He has come to bring light and life to this world, specifically life through shining light, the truth of God's Word into the world. We have learned of man's general response to that light, where he came into the world and the world received him not. The general response of men to the light of God, to the truth of God, is unbelief. We've also learned that those who receive him have been given a very distinct privilege. That privilege is to become the sons of God. The privilege of adoption, the authority, the positional adoption by God into the inheritance of Jesus Christ. And so we've learned all of this already, and we are introduced in part to John, but now in the narrative, we are actually going to step into the testimony of John regarding Jesus Christ. Let's pick it up in verse 29, and we'll read through verse 34. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel, therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he who baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. We were introduced in part to John at the beginning of this gospel as well. John testified plainly that he was not the Christ, but only one that bears witness of the Christ. In our chronology, verses 19 through 28 is one day. That's where the Pharisees come, are sent by the Jews to come to question John as to his authority. We remember that from two weeks ago. And as they were questioning him about his authority, they were questioning, well, if you're not the prophet, if you're not, that would be the prophet that Moses spake of, if you're not the Christ himself, and if you're not Elijah who should come, all messianic figures 
that we're supposed to point the way to Christ, if not Christ himself, who are you? And John associated himself with that minor prophecy in the book of Isaiah, the voice crying in the wilderness, the most lowly of all the figures that could be associated with the Messiah's coming because he was trying to decrease that Christ might increase. As we look at this assertion this evening in verses 29-34, we see that this is the next day. So this is the day after the Pharisees came to him. Most likely the Pharisees were still there, as well as many of John's disciples would have been there as well. And at this time, Jesus Christ is seen coming into the presence of John. Now, there's something else that we will glean from this passage as we walk through it this evening, more than just the narrative, more than just the first established historical record that John gives bearing witness to the deity of Christ. But we'll also, as dispensationalists, we would call ourselves, see the nature of progressive revelation in this particular passage. As we put some pieces together in regard to John the Baptist's ministry, we're going to see a testimony of progressive revelation, whereby God, as he tends to do, starts out by giving man something somewhat vague, ambiguous, general, limited. And as man accepts the truth that God has given to him, God gives him more truth. You see it in your own life as we have learned about already, we even thought about it this morning, as we accept the truth that God has given to us, he's faithful to give us more. We saw it on Tuesday night as well. The reality that the psalmist said, God, I am determined to keep your word, so teach it. And as we're determined to obey the word of God, God will be faithful to teach us the word of God. Until we have a full understanding, a, a more full understanding at least. And so that's the nature of progressive revelation. Really, this evening, we're going to look at the nature of progressive revelation as we're walking through this passage and John's testimony of Jesus Christ. The passage is an exposition of John's experience with his own divine revelation. And what I would like us to see as we walk through this chronology is see this revelation, but I also want us to make some applications to our own lives. It's not really beneficial to us if we read the Bible, understand the Bible, but aren't able to take it and apply it to ourselves. Now, there are certain passages of Scripture that are foundational, are academic, are there so that we can understand other things later on. But we are going to make some definitive applications to our lives as we look at the nature of John the Baptist and his understanding of the Messiah. Now, one last thing before we begin to walk through this passage, and that is this. I do want to admit that in, by, by one measure, to one degree or another, I am a little uncomfortable with my exposition of this passage tonight. And the reason being, because as I've told you throughout, the gospel writer John makes a very pointed attempt, a very definitive attempt in his writing to minimize the ministry of John the Baptist. He does everything he can, because this is what John the Baptist did throughout his ministry, of minimizing John's ministry except to the degree to which John's ministry points to Christ. And this evening, we're going to focus a little bit more on John's ministry. And so I feel like to that degree, I am stepping outside of perhaps the purpose and intent of the passage as a whole. But I am doing it in order that we can have a more full understanding of what God 
is doing through John in order that we can have a greater appreciation for what God's doing as a whole. So I did want to mention that because I've mentioned numerous times now that the gospel writer is taking pains to minimize John the Baptist's ministry in deference to Jesus Christ's ministry. Everything that the gospel writer presents about John is, is specifically pointed toward John pointing to Christ. And yet this evening I'm going to focus on John a little bit. And I don't want you to think that I'm doing that unknowingly after what I've said. I just um, am doing so in order that we can understand what God is doing through John. And I wanted to make that clear as we begin this evening. So what we'll do is we'll walk through John's understanding of Messiah, his progressive revelation. That'll be our first point. And then our second point will be application to that principle. And so let's look at the progressive revelation as we walk through this passage. Verse 29 says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So by the time Jesus Christ enters on the scene here in John 1 verse 29, John already knew that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. But as we continue in the passage, particularly in verse 33, we understand that John did not always know definitively who Jesus Christ was. He did not always know definitively that Jesus Christ was in fact Messiah. If you recall with me, John's birth, the announcement of John's birth, it was very unique. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, we have the reckoning of John the Baptist's announcement of his birth and then walking into his birth himself. And look with me, if you would, beginning in verse 13. Uh, the angel Gabriel has appeared to Zechariah, and he says in verse 13, The angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall, be turn, shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so we've already talked about John's ministry as Elijah, the spirit and power of Elias. We talked about that two weeks ago. John's parents, however, particularly Zechariah, had been told from in early age, from his conception really, that he was the prophet who would come in the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare the way for the Lord. This was not a mystery. This was not something that was unannounced. Zechariah knew, Elizabeth knew. They understood that, that John was to be the prophet that would be the precursor to Messiah. At his circumcision, when John was given his name, when they named him, when they circumcised him, Zechariah also prophesied. Turn with me, if you would, to verse 68 of Luke chapter 1. And we will read to the end of the chapter. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. This is Zechariah prophesying. And hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, 
that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, speaking to John, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Verse 80, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. As you turn back to John 1. John was known to be the prophet of the highest. And there is little doubt as John grew up that he knew his call to be the forerunner of Messiah. There is little doubt that John understood who he was and what he had been called to do from a young age. As he grew, according to what we read, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. He grew up, he was in the desert until the day of his showing... He grew up in like manner to a prophet from the Old Testament. We already looked at that. You recall two weeks ago, we went back and we saw how Isaiah, excuse me, Elijah, when he was sitting on the mount and the men came up to him to try and bring him down to the king, he had the, um, he, he was described as a man with a leather girdle and a hairy man. Exact same picture that John the Baptist comes as he steps into his own ministry. John rejected any influence upon his life. He was an ascetic. He rejected the goodly things of food. He rejected alcohol. He rejected comforts in order that the Holy Spirit might have complete control over him as he was called to be and as he was called to do from a young age. And so John knew. John knew what he was to do. John knew who he was supposed to be a forerunner to. And that's very important that we understand that. Very important that we see that even from a young age, John had some revelation as to what was going to happen. At some point, according to verse 33 of John chapter 1, we see here, John says, And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. Verse 31 also states that John did not know him. He says, And I knew him not, but that he should be manifest to Israel. And so, at some point, we see that John, not knowing who the Messiah was, had a divine messenger come to him. That divine messenger appeared to him and commanded him to begin a ministry of baptism. So, think about it with me. Let's trace John's life. He is announced. To be a prophet of the Most High. He's born. He at some point is out in the desert. Living in the desert. Is living very much like an Old Testament prophet. He has the Spirit of God upon him. He is living rejecting all earthly things. In order that the Spirit might be fully working through him. And then a divine messenger appears unto him. And tells him that he is going to go baptize. That this baptism was to be the method through which John was going to call the people of Israel to repentance and prepare the people's hearts to receive their Messiah. We recall that that was the duty. The prophecy of Gabriel to Zechariah said that he will call the hearts of the people, prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the hearts of the people. 
And the method through which he was going to do this was preaching repentance and a baptism of repentance. According to Matthew 3, 2, his message was, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John called a message of repentance and came with a baptism of repentance. John's lifestyle was in total denial of those earthly pleasures, yet John had the discernment to recognize that when the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to receive the baptism of repentance, that they were not coming in genuineness, but they were coming and he called them vipers. He said, show the fruit of repentance if you're going to be baptized unto repentance. When this divine messenger appeared unto John, at some point commissioning him to baptize, he also told him how he was going to be able to to recognize Messiah. Verse 33 says, I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And so here's another piece of revelation that John receives. John has nothing more than the prophecy of his birth. And based upon that prophecy, he obeys God He's out in the desert. He's denying himself. He's living in, in the, under the power of the Spirit. Then at some point, the divine messenger appears to him and says, you need to start baptizing. Your ministry has begun. John says, okay. The same divine messenger says, you will know the Messiah when the Holy Spirit of God that you see descends upon him and remains upon him. And so John's ministering now, recognizing that he has this ministry of repentance, baptism under repentance, waiting still to understand fully who Messiah will be. At this point in John's ministry, he knows his mission, but he still doesn't know who he's preparing the way for. He knows what God has called him to do, but he still doesn't know the end result of his call. He still doesn't know who the Messiah is in full. And this brings us to the testimony of John's obedience and ministry. John did begin baptizing the people unto repentance, though he didn't know who the Messiah was. And so we see that John's loyalty rests not in the divine messenger who sent him, but upon the God who has promised. Therefore, he says in verse 31, I knew him not, he didn't know the Messiah, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. All John knew was that Messiah would be made known, and it was enough for John to get busy doing what God had called him to do. I don't know who the Messiah is. The only thing I know is that Messiah will be made known, that I am his forerunner, so I'm going to do what I've been called to do. But there came a point in his ministry, and that's what we're reading about this evening in verse 29 where Jesus, excuse me, this is before verse 29, we're not there yet. Jesus does come to John. John's baptizing into repentance in the wilderness, and Jesus appears. And in Matthew 3, verse 14, Jesus comes to him and asks him to baptize him. Jesus asks to be baptized of John. John forbids him, says, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? Yet Christ still compels him, says, no, you need to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. 
And so John does it. He obeys, he baptizes Jesus Christ. And as he does so, we believe John's testimony that he did not know fully that Jesus Christ was Messiah. Yet, as Messiah came out of the water, having been baptized by John, we understand that the Holy Spirit did descend upon him like a dove, according to the passage in Luke. And there was a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. In thee I am well pleased. And so at that point, that is the point where John the Baptist knew definitively that Jesus Christ was Messiah. Until that point, he didn't. Now, we understand from scriptures that Jesus was about 30 years old at the time of this baptism, according to Luke 3.23. We also understand from Mark 1.12 that immediately after his baptism, he was taken into the wilderness for 40 days and tempted of the devil. So, Stick with me on this timeline here. I should have popped it up on the screen. We should have had a definitive timeline here. That's what I should have done. But stick with me on the timeline. John the Baptist is born. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. He goes out into the wilderness. He's preparing himself for his ministry. A divine messenger comes to him, says, Start baptizing. And by the way, you'll know Messiah when he comes because he will have the Holy Spirit descend upon him and abide on him. John is faithful to baptize. The Pharisees come to him and say, we want to be baptized. John says, no, you're not real. You don't really have repentance in your heart. The Holy Spirit is guiding him. Clearly his ministry is blessed of God. People understand that he's a prophet of God. Then Jesus Christ comes one day and John the Baptist, knowing Jesus Christ is some great man, not necessarily definitively knowing he's Messiah yet, but he says, no, I have need to be baptized of thee and you come to me. And Jesus Christ says, suffer it. It needs to be done to fulfill all righteousness. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus Christ as he's coming out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove. There's a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son and him I am well pleased. John says, this is Messiah. Jesus Christ then goes and he's tempted of the wilderness for 40 days. As we step back into John 1.29, it says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him. Here is what we know. John has already seen the Spirit descend upon him. That means that John, in verse, one, or in verse 29 of John 1, John the Baptist has already baptized Messiah. That means that this is after Jesus Christ's 40 days of temptation because Jesus was immediately taken into the wilderness after his baptism, according to the book of Mark. And so the timeline as we see it is this. John baptizes Jesus. Spirit descends. John sees him. Jesus Christ is swept away into the wilderness for temptation. Most likely then, this is the day that Jesus Christ came back from his temptation. He has been verified in his deity and his sinlessness through the temptation. He's been tempted in all points like as we, and yet without sin. God has prepared his messenger, Jesus Christ, for this ministry. Messiah is ready to be revealed. He has been revealed to John, the messenger. The Holy Spirit is abiding upon him, and he's been tempted and found sinless. He's ready to go. And as he's coming back to where John is baptizing, John's continuing faithfully with his ministry, this is his first proclamation. Now, this is Messiah. The next day, verse 29, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was 
before me. This is the man that I told you yesterday. Remember the Pharisees came to him the day before. This is the man who I was telling you about. This is Messiah. Do you see how the revelation worked? Do you see how it progressed? How John started out with very little knowledge and slowly but surely gained more knowledge but all throughout and this is the key regardless of whether it was just John understanding through his father and his mother that he was the prophet of the highest from a prophecy of Gabriel at his conception or whether it was the divine messenger who came to him and said begin baptizing even though you don't know who Messiah is yet throughout all of these points of progressive revelation one thing that we see throughout is that John obeyed. John constantly took that which he knew and acted on it. And that's where we're going to have our application this evening. We've seen the progressive revelation. I've traced the passage. Now let's apply it to our lives. The first thing I would like us to understand is that John lived in light of his purpose even before he knew his ministry. John lived in light of his purpose even before he knew his ministry. When the angelic messenger appeared to John and commissioned him, Gabriel's prophecy tells us that John was already a man who was living in light of a greater purpose. He was already a man who'd gone out to the wilderness and was preparing himself for his purpose. He was already a man filled with the Holy Spirit. He was already a man that was eager and ready to serve God. He had already dedicated himself to a life of devotion even before he knew specifically the ministry that God had called him to. John's childhood and early adulthood does not record his specific ministry, but it does record a man set aside for ministry. You know, as we sit in this room, as we live this life, whether we're five years old or ten years old or twenty years old or fifty years old, A lot of times we don't know what God has us to do. There are times in our lives where we don't know what God wants for us in the future. We, even those of us who are older in this room, might look back in five years and in ten years and say, how in the world did that happen? I never would have expected that. I know my wife and I can look back upon the last two years, much less five years of our lives, and say, who would have thought? I think this church is almost a testimony to that, is it not? To the reality that you look back five, seven years and say, who would have thought of all that God would do? But if there's one thing that all of Scripture makes abundantly clear, it is that even when we don't know specifically what God has for us to do, we always know who we are supposed to be for God. Even though we don't always know the specific tasks that God has for us to accomplish, we always know the person that we're supposed to be in preparation for those tasks that He has called us unto. So while we don't maybe know what our career path will be, we do know that we are expected to glorify God with every ounce of our ability and talent. While we may not know what ministry opportunities God is going to use us for in the future, we do know that God needs us as clean and usable vessels in order that when He's ready to use us for a purpose, we are ready to be used. 
You may not know who it is you're going to marry should God choose for you to marry, but you do know that God desires you to stay pure in mind and in body in order that you can be prepared for the one that God has called you to marry. And so, though we may not know the ministry opportunities that God will bring to us in the future, we do know how to be prepared now for whatever God calls us to. And that's what John did. John did not know what his exact ministry would be other than preparation for Messiah. He didn't know until the divine messenger appeared unto him that his, mes- that his message would be, Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he did not know that he would be ministering a ministry of baptism unto repentance until the divine messenger told him. But even before the divine messenger came to him, he had prepared his life and his heart for service. The nature of progressive revelation, even in individual lives, is one of daily obedience. God has not revealed what tomorrow will bring, perhaps, but he has certainly revealed to us what we can be doing as we wait for his guidance. And so we serve God today in whatever ways he has enabled us to serve eagerly anticipating what he might do through us if only we are usable vessels for his glory and for his purposes. In five years, how might God use you if only today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day you keep yourself usable? It may be a week. It may be a month or it may be ten years down the road before God's plans for you come to fruition. But make no mistake... Right now, you are building upon a foundation that makes you usable or unusable for God's purposes. And that is the nature of God's working in us through progressive revelation. God is leading us into a greater understanding of what He has for us, but He expects us to live by faith until said time. So John lived in light of his purpose even before he knew his ministry. But John also fulfilled his ministry in spite of minimal understanding. Once the angelic messenger did come to him, the angelic messenger said, hey look, your baptism is preparing for Messiah, so start doing it. And you'll know Messiah when he comes because the Spirit of God will descend upon him. John might have been a little nervous about that. I'm preparing the way for someone I don't even know. What if I don't like him? What if I don't like the guy? I'm preparing the way for him. See, but John didn't do that. Because John wasn't seeing with the eyes of flesh, with these eyes here, thinking about it logically, he was trusting God in faith. God, it doesn't matter who your Messiah is. All I need to know is that the Messiah will be revealed. All I need to know about Messiah is found in the Old Testament. All I need to know is that he will be king. Is that he will be God himself. He will be Emmanuel, God with us. That's enough for me. That's all I need to know. I don't care who he is. I'm going to go do what I've been told to do. That was John's heart. We do know from Matthew 3 verse 14 that as Jesus approached John to be baptized, John did forbid him. And yet, we recognize that John didn't know fully that Jesus Christ was Messiah. That John was baptizing unto repentance in faith. That God would reveal his Messiah. You know, there are many things regarding God and his word that we do not fully understand. 
In the words of 1 Corinthians 13, as I know most of the Grismores have memorized, we see through a glass darkly. I've used that analogy many times. What Paul is trying to express in 1 Corinthians 13 is that it's almost as if we're looking through misted glass as we serve God in this life. We know that the other end is eternity. We know what God has prepared for us because he's told us. But getting from point A to point B, getting from where you are in your life right now to where, what God has for you in heaven, all we can see is a shadow. Just a silhouette. It's just, just a piece of whatever it is God has planned for us. Even our heavenly home, we only know but a shadow of what it will be. We only know but pieces of all that eternity will comprise. And that's why the Christian life is called a life of faith. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We live this life trusting God that what He has promised He is able also to perform. And that is Romans 4, verse 20 and 21. In regard to Abraham, Paul wrote this, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully, fully persuaded that what God had promised, He was able also to perform. That is how we live this Christian life. Hebrews 11, verse 11, says this in regard to Sarah, Abraham's wife that she judged him faithful who had promised. Verse 13 goes on to say, These all, all of the people that are described in Hebrews up to that point, died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. See, Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, as they lived this life, they lived it under the understanding of what God had promised them. He'd promised them these blessings. He'd promised them this inheritance. He had promised them a seed. He'd promised them multitudes. They didn't see it. But they lived in light of it. John the Baptist, as he served God, he served God under obedience. He didn't know who Messiah would be, but that didn't stop him from obeying and preparing the way for Messiah. He didn't know before the divine messenger came what God's purpose for him was in full. He didn't know the ministry that God had planned for him, but he obeyed what he did know until God made it more clear. And that's our privilege in this life. As we go along this Christian life, we live where we're at, we obey what we do know until God gives us more understanding, more revelation. The testimony of those who have gone before is not a testimony of those who understood everything. It's a testimony of those who believed God. Abraham did not understand when God commanded him to sacrifice his son on an altar. But he obeyed. Joseph did not understand when his brothers sold him into slavery. And then he was betrayed and thrown in prison. But he served God faithfully regardless. David did not understand when the prophet Samuel came to him and anointed him king. 
only to spend the next several years running for his life. He wasn't sitting on a throne after he was anointed king. He was running and hiding in caves. David didn't understand, but he believed God. He knew that God was faithful to perform what he had promised. John the Baptist did not fully understand when he was told to go baptize men into repentance. But he knew what God had called him to do and he obeyed God. See, Christianity is not a religion that promises you personal knowledge of all the answers. Christianity is not a religion that promises you complete understanding of your life, nor is it a religion that promises you complete control over your life. But what the tenets of Christianity as drawn from the word of God does promise is that we serve a God that has all the answers. And we serve a God that is in complete control. And we have the privilege then of resting upon God's wisdom instead of needing to come up with all of the answers ourselves. And that's the nature, privilege, burden, responsibility of this Christian life. There will never be a point in your life where you have all the answers. And if you do, there's something wrong. But that's okay. Because when we don't have the answers, when there is illness in our family and we don't understand how God could do this to us, when we lose a loved one and we don't understand how God could do this to us, when we get in that car accident or when we don't receive something that we were expecting to receive or we lose our job or whatever the case may be and we just plain don't understand, that's okay. We don't need to understand everything. It's not our responsibility to understand everything. It's our responsibility to lean upon the God that does. It's our responsibility to fall into the arms of the God that does understand everything. To trust Him. To trust His plan. To trust His purpose. To trust His design. To trust His control. That's our responsibility. So the question as we consider progressive revelation today... You may be, who knows where you are. Each one of us is at a different spot in our understanding of Scripture. In our understanding of what God has for us in the direction that He's placed us in. But as we look at the ministry of John the Baptist, and as you think about your own life, the ministries that God has given to you, my question is, can you say that you are a man or a woman who is yielded to the work of God regardless of your personal understanding? Of what God has called you to do. Do you trust God by faith. In spite of what you perceive by sight. Is your purpose and direction. Compelled by faith. In God's plan or. Does any lack of understanding. Or lack of control in your life. Cause you to turn away from God. Remember on Tuesday night. We talked about the different worldviews, And we talked about how. When. In, in, in the mind of the world, when events come into your life, they actually divert your purposes. And then we looked at how the Bible speaks of our purpose. And if we're purpose and our eyes are set on God, then regardless of what comes along in our lives, our purpose remains the same. That's the call tonight. That regardless of whether things go right or wrong, 
regardless of whether you pass that test or fail that test, regardless of whether you lose that job or get a promotion, regardless of whether you're healthy or you're sick, regardless of these events in your lives, can you trust God that he is in control and lay your life in his hands and trust him? That's the testimony of John as he ministered. That regardless of how much he knew, he obeyed. And let us endeavor today to be like those men and women of old. Like those that we read of in Hebrews. Like John the Baptist even. Those who are strong in faith. Giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he has promised, he is able also to perform. Let's pray together.